1: It's the Mike Messinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
2: Welcome, everybody, to the Mike Messinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network, brought to you by Rush Street Interactive. Don't forget to make your plays. On the Bet Rivers app, we'll go over how I did on those plays last week. I'm still over 500, by the way, but let's get to the more important stuff. You're fighting Phillies. They clinch a playoff spot for the first time since 2011. And my God, is that a nightmare in a 2011 playoff series? The last time they made it, they persevere and they get, they, they come through to get that playoff spot, which looks like it's going to be the number six slot. And let me tell you something. There are a lot of naysayers that were out there. All you Negadelphians were ready to have the sky fall on you, especially when they lost to Washington early in that series. Oh, they suck. They're not going to make it, blah, blah, blah. And I kept telling you, the Milwaukee Brewers are not strong enough to overtake them. So the Phillies did clutch up and and they won some games in the end. And they won it last night with a brilliant performance by Aaron Nola. But the Milwaukee Brewers helped. They didn't have the right stuff coming down the stretch. So the Phillies are in. And that's really all that matters. You know, I, I, people talk about all the time. Well, they're not going to do anything anyway. You got to get in the playoffs. That's the goal to get in the playoffs, I and mean, you haven't been there in a really long time. You got to sit there and appreciate what they've done, and they they do have a chance. At least in the first round of the series, we'll go after that in a second. But first of all, let's get the sound of last night and how this transpired with Tom McCarthy on the call. swinging a fly ball. Shallow center field. Coming on as Marsh, Still coming on. Makes the catch. The ball game is over. The drought is over after 11 seasons. The Philadelphia Phillies are going back to the postseason. They'll represent the National League, and they celebrate behind the mound, and this is a long time coming. Oh, yeah, they celebrated behind the mound, and they had a lot of beverages last night in the locker room, which tells you one thing. If you get the Bet Rivers app, pound the Astros tonight. The hangover game. You got to take that. you wanna make some money. Play the Astros tonight, but that's irrelevant. Uh, Aaron Nola. Now, I know there are a lot of people out there that look at Aaron Nola and say, you know, he hasn't really delivered that." But last night, he has a perfect game almost through 6 innings. And, and he he got he, he gave up a rope and he lost it a little bit and they well, I'm not bringing in Alvarado to get a tough left-handed hitter out in that situation where the Astros had two on. It was the right move by Thompson, but he delivered last night. And I got to tell you, watch it. Being a student of baseball, uh, the thing about Aaron Nola is always his arm angle. If his arm angle is, it comes out of the same slot all the time. He's pretty good. Cause he's got decent stuff. He's not overpowering, but he, he painted last night. He hit corners and every pitch that he needed to make, he made. And, and that's because his arm angle was consistent. So, a, a great effort by him last night. Now, here's where I don't go too far. Our compel Ruben Amaro, who's now a commentator for the Phillies, former general manager, former coach in the big leagues, former player with the Phillies, comes out with a tweet last night. And he says, all you people who said Aaron Nola wasn't a big game pitcher, you can kiss my ass. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, big boy. Hold on a second. There have been plenty of opportunities where Aaron Nola did not deliver. So let's not get carried away. Uh, I'll give him credit for last night. That was was a great performance. And all he really needed was that leadoff home run. And Kyle Schwarber, I I have never seen anything like this where a guy can hit 218 and have that many bombs. Uh, And last night he does it again a first-pitch leadoff homer, uh, replicating what he's done before in, in, the, in the last few games. So he's really given them a lift, and they wound up getting two more home runs, Swerber a little later, and then Bryson Stott, who looked like he was kind of getting weathered a little bit and, and seems to have picked it up. So where do they sit right now? Because this is the big question. Um, I'm looking at the Cardinals series, and I always thought it was beneficial for the Phillies to finish with the sixth spot. I thought that was the easiest matchup they could get, to play the division-winning Cardinals, who have to play the worst wildcard team now. Cardinals are a nice team. They're not an overpowering team. So let's look at uh, the Phillies, fortunately. They didn't have to go down a stretch to clinch this. So fortunately for them, they've got their pitching staff lined up. So in games, that will be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, most likely, in St. Louis now. Tough place to play. The Cardinals are always better there because, as you know, Scott Rowland, you know, a few years ago, said it was baseball heaven. And who might argue with Scott Rowland? So in baseball heaven, you host three games. They should have the edge. So here we go with Flaherty against Wheeler. I don't know what the line's going to be on that game. But, you know, if Zach Wheeler is back to form, uh, and he certainly looked to be back in form, that that's a game that they can steal. Now the left-hander Montgomery goes to the second start against Noah. Can Noah replicate it? So I'm thinking they may win game one, lose game two, which then throws it into game three. And we got Ranger Suarez against Adam Wainwright. And I got to be honest with you, normally on on a day when I have all my wits, I would say Wainwright is the better matchup. But he's older now. And Suarez has been pretty consistent. So I think the Phillies have a real shot to survive in this series. And then we'll see where they go. I, I don't anticipate that they would win the second series. They're not as good as any team they will play in the second round. But but they're in the playoffs now, and and the people can shut the hell up. And and according to Ruben Tomorrow, you can kiss his ass. while we're at it, all right. So there you go with your fighting fills, and uh, you know the the heroes of this year. If you look at the team, and I know we've all been disappointed with the star players from time to time, and Bryce Harper really struggled to get big, big, his swing back towards the last half of the year when he came back from that injury. Castellanos has been in just basically average. Swarber, you, you can't argue with production, although I wish his average would be up a little bit. Uh, and JT Romuto has been a consistent player along with, with Alec Boehm. Uh, but the younger guys that have filled in. Now, if you look at him individually, you go, what are they? You know, the, the Veerlings of the world, the Nick Matons of the world, uh, uh, Stott being in there, uh, uh, Marsh, who actually, as a Philly, hit like 280. So I thought that was a a good pickup for him. But they've all contributed in there. Now, the the bullpen is interesting. Um, they've got a couple reliable guys, and they throw Eflin in the game last night. So I think Eflin has passed the test, and he's going to get some high-leverage innings in the playoffs. Uh, Brogdon? I mean, I don't know. I don't know from Brogdon. I know Alvarado's going to give him. Uh, I know Dominguez maybe is going to give him. The only thing I, I – yeah, yeah, the Philly starters are going to have to be excellent. And, and then you're going to have to get a couple outs from bullpen guys uh, that only Alvarado, to me, uh, I have faith in. He's going to get the job done no matter when he's out there. So it, it'll be interesting to see. I'm happy with the Phillies getting into the playoffs and, uh, you know, these naysayers out there. You, you know, I love you, Philadelphia fans. I've been hanging around with you for 30 years. But you're out of control, man. Seriously. Well, What is do you make the playoffs? With? First of like, all, well, they're not going to make the playoffs, they shot. And then it was, well, what could they make the playoffs? They're not going to win. It, relax. They have not been in the playoffs since 2011. Do you remember that series? How bitter the taste was in that series? Halliday gets out by Chris Carpenter. Uh, 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 Cliff Lee can't hold a four-run lead. And Ryan Howard's Achilles tendon is left all over the yard. And from that moment on, it went kaput. Baseball went kaput in this town. So they're at least back into the playoffs. And I'm happy about it. You're fighting uh, you know, Normally, I would be wearing a, a Phillies hat for that segment. Uh, you can't see us on video. You will eventually see us on video here on the Mike Misnelli podcast. Uh, but it has occurred to me that I do not own a Phillies cap. Uh, it's uh, very unusual. I don't have a Phillies. I've never had a Phillies cap. And my producer, Darren, he's flashing one. I see him in the screen. Uh, I got the Eagles hat, which I'm going to rock as we talk about the Eagles because we have Brian Westbrook coming up, my old buddy from the radio. We made magic on the radio, and we're going to do it here on the podcast. Brian Westbrook, some Eagle chat, is next.
1: It's the Mike Nassonelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
2: Now, we're watching the game. It's Seth Joyner and I and uh, Derek Gunn, Devin Caney, do the Eagles post-game show. And uh, we're all going, uh, you know, they're running the football, which should on a day like that, a blustery, nasty, windy rain, but they're going laterally and we're all going, let's go straight ahead with the running game. There's something about this team that adjusts in the second quarter. And in the second quarter, they figured out that if we run straight ahead, we could do some damage against this team. So, so what kicked it off? First of all, when they started running right at them, they just killed the supposed number one defense against the run. That's what Jacksonville was coming in. But, Uh, They figured it out with a nine-play, 71-yard drive. That was the drive to me that woke up the Eagles in this game that tied the score at 14. They went nine plays, 71. Eight of the nine were rushes. Miles Sanders, eight, 13, five, four, and finally 10 for a TD. Trey Sermon gets off the bench wearing his Ohio State underwear and comes out with a 14-yard gallop. Uh, So that was big for me. They adapt in the second quarter. The second quarter statistics for this team are mind boggling. I don't even believe it. I got them written down here. The Eagles in the second quarter this year against their opponents, 85 to 14. They've outscored their opponents. 85 to 14. Last two games, 44 to 0 in the last two games. So they're figuring something out and they're making adjustments. And when we look at the coaching staff, you go, is this coaching staff good enough to make adjustments? Apparently they are because it's happened in every second quarter so far this year. Uh, all right. So. Uh, let's let's look at uh, some, some other things of this game, and, and let's look at Trevor Lawrence. Now, I, I happen to be a big Trevor Lawrence fan. I think the kid has all the makings of uh, a franchise quarterback and a star player in his league. I, I think he's got ability. I think he's smart. He's got uh, physicality, uh, and, but he ain't ready. Uh, and in a game like that, with a little adversity where the ball was wet. You know, in Clemson, it's all beautiful down there. Uh, you got every blonde co-ed cheering for you. You don't play in nasty Philly weather like this. I think it spooked the kid a little bit. Uh, he gave up uh, the football five times. Four fumbles, two strip sacks, two fumbles snapped. One where he was just trying to run for a convert a fourth and three and lost the ball out of his hands. And then the interception that James Bradbury had baited him into and kind of laid in the weeds, and that's a, that's a young mistake. He didn't see that corner, and he throws the interception when they were driving for a potential touchdown. Um, so, But it was also interesting that Doug Peterson comes back, and I know there's a lot of fanfare for Dougie. I, you know, I – I feel I'm angry with myself and I'm down on myself because I'm not that big on Doug Peterson. (laughs) Now he won a Super Bowl. So so everybody goes, Oh, you're you're a curmudgeon. All right. 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 Maybe I think they got lucky to win a Super Bowl. I never thought he was the sharpest tool in the shed. But God bless the guy. He comes back, he got an ovation. And that was really nice. And after the game, he, he traded his warm up. Kelsey won his warm up. There's no jerseys to trade. Uh, but Doug, if you notice in this game, he's bringing the kid along. They had a third and ten deep in their territory, and he ran the football for two yards. He gave it up. He gave up the whole series there, and because he didn't trust his quarterback to convert a third and ten. To me, that was really telling that this kid's got a way to go. Uh, but but I kind of like him and. and um, so we'll see. Uh, I, I don't think he, he's ready yet, but, but the Eagles are certainly ready. And, and in a little bit, um, we're going to look at the schedule. And I, I might be crazy, but they've got, they've got two games coming up that will be a little tougher, and then it's you know, garbage, 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 garbage. So if, if they can prove themselves better than the Arizona Cardinals and the Dallas Cowboys, <laughs> what are you looking at? We're looking at that six wins in a row to get the 10 out. I don't know. I'm, I'm flabbergasted by this this eagle scene right now. Well, I am excited to bring in uh, our next guest. It's been a long time. We used to do a regular gig uh, on radio, and it's great to see him and great to talk to Eagle football with the great uh, number 36. Brian
3: Westbrook joins us. B. West, how you doing? Good afternoon, Mike. You're doing well, man. We're 4-0. I'm excited about this football team. Right about excited about these opportunities, yeah. So
2: let's talk about the 4 0 because uh, you know, it's interesting. The, the Phillies are in the playoffs, and um, the, the Eagles are still like the number one topic here. So, uh, let's roll with it. 4 0 start is interesting, and we looked at the schedule and said, you know what, maybe they can go 4 0, maybe they're, they're they are good, but we had to see it. And some of the things that we're seeing now, uh, I think, uh, really are a product of progression, especially the quarterback. I mean, I came into this year, I don't know if you did as well. I still had to see more from Jalen Hurts, but he has shown me, he he converted me a couple of games ago and he keeps rolling. What are you seeing with Jalen?
3: Well, I think you're absolutely right. Last year, there were some things that I saw from him that, that just made me question. Um, I, I didn't think his arm strength was as strong as he needed to be. I didn't think his anticipation was as good as he needed to be. I didn't think he understood the offense or defense's as well as he needed to understand them um and and that kind of all changed around this year and and i'll even start with the the arm strength thing i don't know that his arm has got super stronger but when you understand the defenses that are presented to you and you understand what position your offensive guys are going to be in based on that defense now you don't necessarily have to have great arm strength you have to have anticipation you have to be in rhythm and when he's in rhythm and he anticipates the throw, understands what's going on in front of him, he's looked very, very good this year. And that's the improvement that we needed to see from Jalen Hurts.
2: You, you know what's funny? When I, when I look at him deliver the football now, when he delivers it uh, on time and, and uh, in rhythm, You know, I, I started to think about how I used to feel about Larry Bird. When Larry Bird would get the rock and he would set up and, and, and you knew he had, he had an open look and you just you just cringe because you knew it was going down. Jalen is getting in rhythm and when he delivers it, I'm going, that's complete. I, I've never had that feeling about him, but he, he's resolute now and he's confident. And when he gets back and delivers it on time,
3: it's going to be completed. You know, Mike, last year, it didn't seem like he was in rhythm. He wasn't comfortable last year. And th- this point was brought up, you know, through the off season by Jalen. actually him not having the same offensive coordinator two years in a row and that that affected him in certain ways and 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 now that it see it it kind of makes sense that he understands things so much better this year than he did last year and that includes the offense and the defense and, and when you talk about rhythm think about the interception that he threw early in the game he was out of rhythm. He was holding on to the ball in the pocket, trying to wait for a guy to get open, was not in rhythm at all, ends up throwing the ball behind the receiver, gets you know hit by the defender, intercepted for a pick six. But that was because he was out of rhythm. And that's when he generally says, okay, this guy is not open. I just need to run the ball to throw it away. He said, I'm just going to hold on to it and try to force a throw, and it didn't work. And so that's another uh, instance of him being in rhythm that usually works. When he's not in rhythm, things go in the wrong direction.
2: Brian, uh, they have been um, dominant over every opponent. I mean, it, it hasn't even been close. What they do is a lot better than, than who they're playing. And I know they got off to a slow start, but they, they sure at that ship, and you could tell who, who the better team was right away. Um, I, I'm not seeing any flaws. Normally, you know, you pick up a, a flaw, but let's look at the last game. They needed to run the football in that game, and in the first quarter I thought they went laterally a little bit too much. And I know as a running back you saw that if you go straight ahead in weather like that, there, there were some available uh, holes and they, they did that in the second quarter and they wound up getting huge gains with Miles Sanders. Um, what what are you thinking about
3: the, their whole vibe now, offensively and defensively? They're hard to defend. And when you have an offense and I, I had <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I went and watched Villanova play up at West Point, right? And I'm watching that West Point offense. And you, obviously you can't prepare for that in a week. You need to basically in an off season, but The reason why you can't prepare is because you have to guard so many different things. And when you watch this offense, if you talk about just the run game, first of all, I'm worried about the quarterback run. So I'm worried about Jalen Hurts faking the ball to their running back and keeping it around the outside. But because of that, now my outside linebacker and my defense end have to respect that and stay wide. Now I'm thinking, okay, well, Jalen Hurts says I'm not going to run the ball. I'm going to hand it off. Miles Sanders has just done a great job of being disciplined. And that really, that's what we always wanted from Miles Sanders. Be disciplined. Stay in that pocket, that, that area where you can go straight down the field and you're not trying to bounce it. And he's had so much success doing that. And so because of that, now the defensive and outside linebacker are standing wide because of the quarterback. Miles Sanders has just continued to find holes in the middle of the field. And when you're going straight through a defense, especially when it's wet like that, now you're getting 20 and 25-yard gains. It makes a huge difference. You're not trying to run wide every single time. And, and quite honestly, going straight at the defense, that's going to actually open up those wide runs at towards the end of the game. And we saw that toward the end of the game. And so when you talk about this offense, it's hard to defend. Now you say, okay, I'm going to stop the quarterback run. I'm going to stop Miles Sanders from up the gut, kind of inside zone type of things. Now you say, you know what? I'm just going to pull it, and I'm going to throw the quick slant to A.J. Brown. Which is I mean, unstoppable, by the way. That's an it, un- unstoppable play stop it but either your defenders are either going to play the run or they're going to play the pass if they take one step up then the slant is always going to be there you cannot stop it and you talk about A.J. Brown this is what he brings and this is really the difference between him and Devontae Smith he has the ability to be physical at the point of contact where he says the ball does not have to be perfect I'm going to be physical enough to go up and get it whether the defenders on my back whether I'm open by two or three yards Whatever the case may be, I'm going to be able to go get the football. That's the type of receiver that you need in this offense. And you talk about unstoppable. It has been unstoppable through these first four games.
2: I mean, listen, he if he squares his body, there's there's no way the defense back can do, do anything about it because he's too big. He just wards them off, and that play is there every single time. And then you got the tight end who runs those kind of patterns as well. I, you know, this is really a
3: dynamic situation they have. You know what? The other thing that I didn't think Nick Sirianni did a very good job of getting involved last year was a screen game. And we've seen the tight end screen. We've seen the running back screen getting big yards down the field. It's almost to the point offensively that no matter who is catching the ball, it's a great opportunity, a great time for them to test the football, that they're just making plays work. And when you talk about offensively, that's exactly what you want. You want an offense that continues to click and whatever you do works and, obviously, they've done that throughout the first four games. And let's talk about the depth.
2: You know, there have been plenty of years where guys will go out and you don't have adequate replacements. So two guys on the offensive line go, go out. May- Mayalata goes out. Say Malu goes out. And also Jack Driscoll ha- has to get thrown in there. And then Suopeta gets thrown in there. And then on the other side, uh, you- you're missing Maddox and, and Slay goes out. They get Josiah Scott and Epps. You know, that
3: stuff used to hurt the Eagles. Offensive line-wise, Jeff Stoutman reminds me of Juan Castillo. I mean, he's just whoever plays. Just put him in. Just put him in. I'm going to have the guys ready. And I used to watch Juan every single day, and he worked those second and third team guys so hard that they had no choice but to be prepared. Jeff Stoutman is the same way. It's almost plug and play with those guys. When you talk about the defensive side, now you have some quality starters, starters obviously Darius Slay and Bradbury. Maddox being out, but you got guys that got some experience a little bit last year that now have been battle-tested. Now they have the opportunity to play, and they've played well. They have played well in the right position at the right time. That is all helped by the pressure of the defensive line. So, uh, listen, sometimes when the defensive line is playing the way that they played the last couple of weeks, getting nine sacks a week before, then I can go play DB, right? I can go do that. Anybody can do that. But, hey, listen, those guys have just done a great job of playing together and that's what you want offensively and defensively, an offense that complements your defense, defense getting the ball back to your offense, offense allowing that defense to get a break on the sideline.
2: It's interesting because I think you would have been a really good defensive back. Uh, so <laughs> I'll, I'll ask you this question. Uh, you go to Villanova, you set all kinds of records as a running back. Uh, had had Penn State recruited you and you went there and they said, we like you more as a DB, what would you have done? I would have
3: played DB. There's no you doubt you would have. I would have played D B, there's no doubt about it. Um you know, a lot of the bigger schools, especially my junior year, were recruiting me to play to play defensive back. So I, I would have I would have gladly have gone to a bigger school that they wanted me to play DB. And there would have been no Brian Westbrook legacy. It would not have been. And and, no. <laughs> and there is a quiet piece of me that believes that difference, that knee injury that I suffered in 96 changes everything. You know, small changes in your life can change everything. That allowed me to go to a smaller school to learn. Certain things about the game and, and defenses and being able to catch the ball out of the backfield as well as catch Andy Reese's kids' eyes. So that. So. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Amazing how things work out. Uh, all right, but there's just a couple nitpicky things. I like the nitpick because it can't be a perfect game, right? one thing that really ticked me off early in the game, and I know you saw it is it started uh, getting get me thinking about it, like Teddy Bridgewater play a couple of years ago. And then if you go way back when for who, for what. But A.J. Brown had the interceptor lined
3: up. And he stopped. Like, I know you saw the play. What did you think about that? Hey, if, if if you win the game, it's it's a it's nobody cares about it. But you lose that game because of that. You're saying we need more effort out of you. Out of you, the one thing that you I do worry about, and this is a big time concern for for me, is getting some of these star players. AJ Brown hurt. We can't afford to get that guy hurt. That changes the offense. We already talk about how the effect of the offense is. I don't want him getting hurt. Trying to tackle somebody—that's that, the last thing. But that dude's two thirty, Brian. He's two thirty. I know, I know. Listen, when you don't tackle all the time, weird things happen when you try to. It, it's a whole <laughs> different world. I, I'll never forget. People this up a lot. Ed Reed actually texts me this all the time. We're down in in Baltimore. This was the game that Donovan got uh, bench, right? Remember that game, Kevin? Yeah. Cobb- uh huh. I think it was Don. I mean, I, I guess. Yeah, against
2: Don- well, it, it the mean, Ravens.
3: Against the yeah. Ravens. Yeah. He throws an interception in the end zone. Every catches in the end zone. He ends up turning, returning for six. But I'm running. I end up catching them. And when I got there, I was like, oh, I I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I, how do you tackle? So I end up try to push him out of bounds. He's in the Army, he goes in the score. Listen, <laughs> weird things happen when you got to tackle, and that's not your main job. It's a whole yeah,
2: I, I remember that play. Uh, by the way, speaking of 4-0, that's the first time he has been 4-0 since when?
3: Since since two thousand and four, yeah, when, when number five will always love you, right? That so was good. Year. that was a good year. I'll never forget that season because we were flying high. I think we were seven to zero. We went to Pittsburgh, and they jumped in our pants from the word go. Before we knew it, it was twenty one. My yeah. quarter, and I mean they they just beat us up that day. That was that was a tough one. All right, the the other thing I wanted
2: to mention, again, I'm I'm quibbling here, but uh, towards the end of the game, uh, they did not try to kick a a shorter field goal. It would have been 38, and they tried to go for it there, and they gave the the Jaguars uh, the final possession, which the kid uh, messed up anyway. But uh,
3: would you have kicked the field goal there? No doubt about it. You kicked the field goal. I'm not sure about the health of the kicker. That that was the only thing there is Jake Elliott completely healthy. And the other part, there was a win thing. So I don't know if you remember the first half. The, the the Jags, I believe, right before the quarter, they were going away from the big scoreboard. Mm-hmm. And they take All the time out to make them kick in that direction. And, and so the win sometimes plays a factor there. Between the kicker being injured and the win, I, I thought that he, he was a little bit afraid there. I, you, you kick the ball there. You go up by, well, you went up by nine at that point, making a two point. I mean, a. a uh, would have been 11 or something like that you
2: making a two yeah, you, you would put the game out of reach it would, you know that would have been the lock and i think he did kick a field goal with his leg in that condition but speaking of that my man, let's talk about the toughness of young Jake because he he, he got buried on the follow-through right and he goes, oh he's limping and uh i remember acres with you know that hamstring thing where he put his he put his head in in donovan's lap you know, remember that? And wait, but my man, Jake, says, no, nah, no, nah, nah, I'm, I'm good. And I, I saw him take a pill on the sidelines. Now, what was he taking there, bro? Uh, probably a little painkiller, a little something to just take the edge off. So it wasn't ibuprofen. It was something that was a white pill. The best
3: the best drug that money can buy. That's what that. Like. <laughs>
2: All right. So before I let you go, I, I got to talk to you about this situation. I know you're actively involved in this. You've been concerned about this for a really long time. And it's a concussion protocol situation with Tua. Uh, and in a bit, we're going uh, to talk to doc, uh, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, who's a well-known sports medicine doc and neurologist uh, in this particular situation. They've changed the protocol now uh, to the point where if you recognize something that Tua went through against the Bills where he was wobbly and they said it was his back, now, if you show that kind of thing, that kicks in the protocol that uh, didn't kick in before. What was your whole opinion on the tour situation?
3: The game on Sunday. So they played with Sunday, Thursday. Thursday, he got – Yes. In, he ended up The game on Sunday. You go back a week and a half or whatever it is. There's, not, there, there's no other injuries that make you get up and you're wobbly like that, period. You hurt your ankle. You pull your hamstring. You hurt your shoulder. You, everything else, you stay on the ground or you get up and you hop off. There's no other injury except for a head injury that make you like that. It's clear. It's easy to see. That's an example of that doctor, that independent doctor, not protecting the player. That's also an example of a coaching staff, a training staff, players around him not protecting the player. That's exactly what the NFL is supposed to be, have guarded against. And they failed to it in that point. And if I'm the coach, the coach should be fine too. I'll tell you this because after you watch the film, after you watch the hit and you see your quarterback, your star that you went up in the draft and did all these different things for, wobbling like that, you definitely don't play him on Thursday. There's no doubt in my mind. You, there's Concussions are like just like any other injury. If it takes me a, the pressure of, of 100 to hurt my ankle originally, if I go back and play on that ankle again before it's completely healed, it's not going to take 100. It's going to take 50. So it takes a lot less to get that second concussion than it did the first. He should not have been allowed to play. It was clear. It was an easy call. The NFL failed him. His coach, the, the players, and that doctor failed Tua. Um, they should be ashamed of us mm. and certainly fine as well. That's really
2: interesting. So, in other words, they had to step up like the scene in uh, in Varsity Blues where Mox came into the training room and told Kilmer not to give Wendell a shot.
3: Yep, yep. You, you got to. take. To, listen, th- that's, he's your guy. Now, remember that team was only going to go as far as two goes, and yeah. He doesn't go if he's not healthy, then he just- well,
2: it's interesting that the pressure has always been there. When you played the pressure of the team doctor to get you guys back out there, and sometimes they weren't prudent, but you know, this independent guy, I, I, you know, I like, I say, well, who hires this guy because he looked like he was still partial to the Dolphins
3: winning, yeah. Well, he lost his job because of, he didn't do his job, and he should have lost his job, he should have got fined. In, and a lot, of other, a lot of other people should have got fined as well. There's no excuse for that. There's no excuse. You don't want to ruin a young player by, by getting crazy concussions. We've seen too many guys do that in the past.
2: Uh, Brian, last thing, uh, and I really appreciate you joining us. It was great to see you and great to talk with you. Um, you look at their schedule, and uh, they're 4-0. Uh, h- how far can they extend this?
3: I think this is going to be a tough test for them on the road against an active quarterback that likes to move around out in Arizona, I think Dallas is going to be a tough text, t- tough text, tough test. But listen, they, they got some opportunity. It, this, this is what 4-0 allows you to do. It allows you to build your confidence. I, I don't think that any of these teams that they beat these fourth, first four teams are, are good football teams, great football teams by that means. I, I think they're okay at, the, at best. But it allows you to build your confidence in what you do. As you allow that confidence to continue to build – you're going to need it in these next couple games. I mean, the, the Cardinals as well as the Cowboys, they're going to need that confidence because they're going to test you in a different way. There are going to be times in this game where things aren't going right the same way you start 14-0. Things are not going right. Get back to bases. Get back to the things that you have done well in the past. I think they'll take those conf- that confidence, and, and they'll, they'll they'll go at least 6-0 is my, my prediction.
2: All right. these Brian Westbrook. Great to have you, B. We appreciate it. Thanks for spending some time on the Mike Missinelli podcast, man. We'll talk to you. Talk soon. All right, there he is Brian Westbrook. So let's let's continue now with that because I, uh, I I want to extend this this whole uh, the schedule uh, and see what they can be. So can can they be six and zero? The next two games are going to be decidedly tougher games than they have faced so far. So at Arizona, I agree. This could be. It all depends on how well Kyler Murray plays. I mean, sometimes he can really give it away. And sometimes he can really dazzle. So, I mean, I don't know what the line of that game is right now. We'll look at it later in the week. The Eagles are going to be favored in the game. Then it's Dallas on a Sunday night, which will be a monster game, Sunday night football uh, on NBC. So if you think they're good enough to get past those two games, that makes them 6-0. Let's go next at home against the lousy Pittsburgh Steelers with a with a kid who's uh, wet pants playing. And I like be Pinky, but, uh, you know, come on. Uh, the Steelers are atrocious right now. Uh, then at the Houston Texans on a Thursday night, I know it's a short week, but they're playing the Texans. And then the Washington Commanders, do you think they're going to come into Lincoln Financial Field with that quarterback and win? So that could be win, 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 win. That's five. And then the Colts, they stink. What happened to the Colts? I thought they were going to be good this year. They, they write the ship and then they lose again next week. Uh, and then you get the Green Bay Packers. Uh, so, I, like, I don't know how far they can extend this, but they could possibly get the double digits in O. Uh, and it's <laughs> been a long time since we actually looked at a team to, to actually do that. Uh, all right. So let's update our uh, selections from last week. Again, the Bet Rivers app is the best way to go. You can get make all kinds of plays, uh, live or uh, futures. And uh, you can make some prop bets on there. Always that forever changing lines. So last week, I went two and two. I was eight and four going into last week. Ole Miss won the game, but they had to come from behind, so they didn't cover. That line had gone up to seven. Ole Miss was favored over uh, a higher-ranked Kentucky team. Ole Miss did win the game, but I took NL there. But Michigan State, Michigan State was an eight-and-a-half-point underdog at Maryland. That line shot up, and I took the Terps, and they cashed that one. And we got a pro. The, the Bengals on Thursday night. Uh, w- was a w- uh, win for me, and then uh, the, the Panthers. I t- I don't know why would I take the Panthers. I, you know, I I have to be a total idiot to take the Panthers, but the line went down to one point. <laughs> the, the, the Panthers were only a one point. They were a one point fave in the game, and they wound up uh, l- losing the game against Arizona. So I learned my lesson: never take the Carolina Panthers. So so there you go. I'm ten and six on the year. That's still that's still pretty good. So uh, you know I'll take that. All right. Uh, I got some random thoughts here. Basically, it's football. You see all these kind of uh, innovative touchdown celebrations. There's one that's that's tried and true for me, and, and, and like it's the spinning of the ball. Like you, you can't beat the spinning of the ball. I mean, you can do you know, when you spin that ball like the top. There are the old days when you used to have. I don't know. I'm dating myself. Like the old timers would have, just think about what amused people back then. You had a freaking top with string on it. You put it down and you, you pulled the string and it spun. And that was your fun. Right? You imagine that kids looking at that. Thing. what? With all the sophisticated video stuff they get through with a top amused you? But anyway.
4: The variation of that, Mike, was when you would spin it like a and put your hands like a like a like a fire. Yeah. Like a bonfire. Yeah,
2: yeah that, that's that's produced yeah. yeah. on yeah. the on the top. You spin a top of, in a day?
4: I spun the top, and then uh, spin the top, and then like the bonfire. Right. Like, yeah. You get some burning I fire, wanted- you get down, you warm your hands a little bit. I wasn't a big top spinner. But well, well, my I mean, point is display. that
2: when you spin at football, it's foolproof. Nobody ever doesn't spin it right. You just spin it, and it lands, and it'll spin forever. And I was wondering, is this illegal? Like, if you spin it, can you then kick it over the goalpost to add to the celebration? Is that illegal? Would that be illegal?
4: I thought my understanding of the rule was they, they changed it a couple of times. They went with originally when there was no celebrating for like a year or two, not so long ago. Then they brought it back where you could do a celebration as long as you didn't involve any of the teammates. And then they allowed teammates to be involved, but you couldn't involve <laughs> anything where the ball would be thrown into the stands. If the ball goes in the stands on a celebration, the player gets fined or has to pay uh-huh. for the ball.
2: All right. Uh, So anyway, I I think that's really underrated. Uh, and I don't know why you have to like try to top that. No pun intended. One of the hot button topics in the NFL, of course, is the situation with Tua Tagvaloa and um, the concussion protocol that has been now changed after uh, the bad look that it gave the NFL and the NFL PA and and the, the Miami Dolphins and all that. When he looked like he suffered a concussion on Sunday, they put him back on the field on Thursday and he really got banged up and uh, suffered some head trauma to shed some light on that situation. Let's bring in Dr. Bruce Grossinger, well-known sports medicine doc in the Philly area, and also a neurologist. Dr. Bruce, how
0: are we? Good morning. Yes, uh, having engaged in neurology for several decades, I feel that you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I've been in the middle of this, and it's really blown up nationally. I was fortuitously at the Bills game, and what happened was Tua was was struck. He was sacked and it was called an intentional roughness penalty he banged his head against the turf there and after that situation he staggered around and he needed assistance to leave the field he then this was right before halftime apparently the problem was they did not diagnose him with a concussion both the independent neurotrauma specialist and the Dolphins team physician attributed the staggering to a low back or ankle problem. They basically made mistakes there. And without putting him in a concussion protocol, he returned to play in the second half and completed the game. A mere four days later, you saw the devastating hit where he was pounded to the turf by the Cincinnati Bengals defensive lineman, And he also you know, was knocked fully unconscious. It demonstrated a fencing response where he had basically clung of the hands in disinhibition relating to a severe brain injury.
2: All right, doctor, let's, let's go back, but first go forward, because the, now the uh, protocol has been changed to include the term gross motor instability, which I assume that would have described Tua on that Sunday, the game you witnessed in Miami. That would be gross uh, instability, and that, that would have triggered a whole different level of protocol. And, instead, they said it was his back, uh, and they ignored what looked like uh, a gross motor instability. So, um, th- let me ask you something: Did that that diagnosis was made by whom? That it was a back and not and not a concussion. Was that the Miami Dolphins doctor?
0: What I've read is it was a collaboration. So the doctor, basically, the, the NFLPA hires an independent trauma physician. They might be a neurosurgeon or, or neurologist. So both that individual and the Dolphins team physician, so two neuroscientists, two neurophysicians collaborated, and they both missed the boat. Ironically, the only head to roll was the, uh, the NFLPA uh, neurotrauma specialist. He's, he was fired, but the, apparently the Dolphins team physician remains employed. Uh, who uh,
2: hires the the neuro the, the 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 so-called independent neuro doctor
0: the NFL players association both hires and fully pays this person the goal is to get somebody who's not affiliated with the team who doesn't have an incentive to play the uh the, the player uh and so that was the purpose of this so-called independent impartial hiring but it it failed in that, in that circumstance, in the Bills game.
2: Well, you know uh, how doctors have, in, in the past, that are associated with the team, uh, uh, fall, fall under the pressure of, of the team wanting to get the guy out as, as quickly as possible to help their team win. Um, how does something like this happen where a guy who's supposedly independently hired by NFLPA, who's supposed to have the player's best interest in mind, how does that happen where the guy would come, come out with that kind of a diagnosis?
0: according to the dolphins and what they put out it was that this doctor failed it, the words were failed at several stages of diagnosis so that's pretty harsh stuff not only one but several stages several opportunities and they literally used the word fail so uh you know in medicine we we like to think we're not on a pass fail grade but there's different shades of gray but apparently he misdiagnosed the concussion that, that all of us saw with the player staggering around. And and, and again, um, Mike McDaniel, the coach, you know, is not a doctor. The Dolphins have gone into a very defensive mode. I think there's substantial liability here for the Dolphins team, not, not for the coach. He's not a man of medicine, but certainly for the league and for the Dolphins. And this has been the, the subject of near constant discussion across the airwaves. Listening last night to Tom Brady uh, on his Let's Go podcast with Jim Gray, basically the, the whole discussion was this. So I think this is very apropos that we talk about it today.
2: Yeah, and there's no question. And, and this is going to uh, like open up some things here. And they're going to have to be very careful, just like when they originally started the concussion protocol. But who has the lawsuit here? Would this be to a lawsuit would it be the, the NFLPA? Who who is the who has standing for this kind of malpractice suit?
0: That is a legal question. You being a lawyer, I I I think it's it's very preliminary, but I believe there is lia- there's liability. I believe on the basis of the team, obviously there's a team physician, and certainly to some degree the NFLPA, and they're not likely to sue themselves. So I think. It's unclear whether it'll be a lawsuit. The fact that the, something very unprecedented, as you allude to, Mike, that in one day, I spoke, to, I spoke to you and I spoke to Darren yesterday. In one day, they basically made a rule that when there's gross motor instability, irrespective of the etiology or the cause, the patient, uh, that is the, the, the team player, automatically is excluded from returning. That's a brand new situation. It goes into a five-step protocol and just, you know, looking at the protocol just very briefly for your audience, the first step is rest and recovery, then light aerobic activities, more aerobic activities and strength training, strength training football-specific activities, and finally return to play. There's no way that could happen during a game. And in fact, that would take at least a week. Right now, TUA is in that protocol. It's There's, there's also a HIPAA. There's privacy. So- a lot of what's going on with 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 Tua is very vague because they maintain his privacy. But I would think, from an optic standpoint, Tua won't be able to return to play for at least a few weeks, given the bright light shined on this particular situation.
2: Talk, uh, talking to Dr. Bruce Grosinger, a uh, well-known Philadelphia sports uh, medicine doctor. Last question, uh, Dr. Bruce is um, when you, when you look at this situation, you were. Actually, at the stadium when this happened. So as a doctor, when you saw him stagger, what was your immediate impression? And had you been the Miami team doctor, what would you have done?
0: Being the the fact that he slammed his head on the turf, and, it, it was, and I was fairly close to it, it, it looked rather violent. And when he stood up, he staggered. He couldn't stand up. And he required the assistance of four players. What I would have done is immediately initiated neurocognitive testing, which was not done, neuro-ophthalmologic testing, looking at the eyes for something called nystagmus, and I probably would have administered an impact test immediately where I'd be checking visual memory, verbal memory, reaction time, speeded content. None of that was done, and I believe that was an omission.
2: Would it have been a difficult thing to do that if you are the team doctor and you know about the pressure? They're playing the Bills, for crying out loud. They need him on that field. Like, how would you be able to withstand that kind of pressure?
0: I think we have a duty. We have a Hippocratic oath to the patient. The patient comes first. You need to have a certain medal if you're going to be a team doctor.
2: Dr. Bruce, thank you so much. We will uh, see you on the Jacob Media Post Game Show next week.
0: Thanks for having me on, Mike. Uh, so now it's
2: time. People are waiting for this. It is the uh, the dreaded political part of the show. Uh, okay, so uh, let me just update it because uh, I love giving you updates uh, on this guy. Um, the guy is Doug Mastriano, and I think you've heard me bring him up in, in every um, podcast so far. He's running for governor, and uh, I, apparently he lives in a cave. Uh, so um, he is in the middle now of his platform towards the end of uh, to, to to win a, a spot uh, uh, over uh, Josh Shapiro as governor. Forty days of prayer and fasting. So so I thought I would join in at least on the prayer part. Uh, now Jesus, I I don't I don't ask you for, for much, right? I think one time I, I asked it was I was I was uh, I was hovering over a six foot putt to win a match, a golf match. And I and I said, Jesus, can you, if you give, if you let me make this putt, uh, I think that's the only time I've called on Jesus for a favor, but uh, l- let me call on it since we're into the 40 days of prayer and fasting. And there's no way you're going to tell me that Doug Mastriano is fasting. Just look at his fat head. Uh, but anyway, um, it, it, Jesus, can we please like cast him out? Uh, I just just asking for a look, and if you can't do it, can can you ask your dad to do it? Because the God would cast people out. Can we cast this dude out? Because I can't take him in my face anymore. Which brings me to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Look out, you bachelors! She's on to make the husband filed for divorce, and he unsealed the details of the divorce. You now I'm looking forward to the shenanigans that she got involved in. Could she have been uh, cheating in Washington circles? Uh, I, I don't know, but she's available. I don't know if she's going on Tinder or Bumble or whatever, but when you swipe, you see Marjorie Taylor Greene. There she is. She's available for all you single men out there. And finally, let's go to uh, Tina Forte. Now, Tina Forte is uh, running against AOC uh, in New York uh, for a congressional seat. And um, she, if you've seen her Twitter, she's got a, a, a very uh, loud mouth. Uh, I want to see if I can. If I can pull her up for you here. Uh, yeah, let, let's see. Here we go. Uh, hey,
0: it's Monday morning. Right, she is. Like we said on Saturday, we're going back to Orchard Beach Monday morning, 10 a.m. Here I am with the America First Vans and the America First Warehouse. Here's Joel the Fox, and we're not going to take it. No, we ain't
3: going to take it. Hey, everybody, it's
2: Monday morning. <laughs> Right. It's mo- It's Monday morning. It's Monday morning. You know, if it, 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 it's like Tina Forte, she's Italian. So uh, in, in Italian, she would be what we would call in Italian uh, a cocherone. As in with this cocherone never shuts up. So that's the definition of cocherone. And it applies directly to someone named Tina for- Forte. And there she is. And, and I'm saying, I think when she comes over for Thanksgiving, I'm telling you, her family must hide in the closet. Can you imagine putting up with that through a whole carving of Thanksgiving turkey? Whoo! All right.
4: There's hey. variation in that word, Mike. My dad wouldn't even go, take it so far as to say yak Yeah, yak Whatever. It's
2: yak Well, as in "maron," what a kak-yaron. All right. Well, anyway, uh, let's close it out with this. I don't know you've heard me talk about this. You've seen it on my Twitter. This is my book. There it is. Uh, it's called The Adventures of Shima the Sheba. It's a cute little uh, children's book that you can get on uh, Amazon.com and uh, also uh, Barnes and Noble. Anywhere you can get your books at AuthorHouse.com. You can even go to my website and order a book. And if you go to the website, I'll personally autograph one. At least my dog will. I'll put her paw print on it. So it's a cute. It's a cute little children's book for uh, younger children. You either the parents can read it to them or uh, the, people, the young children who just start to read, I think would find delightful. Uh, so uh, 20% of proceeds are going to go to local animal shelters, uh, and I, I appreciate it. everybody who would go out and buy one for that reason alone, but also because I just had to get my dog a, a dental uh, uh, situation. I don't know if anybody's ever had a pet that had to get cleaned. It's not cheap. All right, so if I, if I can like break even on the on the dental procedure with the proceeds, <laughs> and then I, I donate to uh, to uh, the, all the shelters, I, I appreciate it. Thanks everybody for listening to the Mike Messinelli podcast. We really appreciate it. Tell your friends and neighbors. You can download it anywhere. We'll come back with another one on Thursday as we look ahead to the Phillies playoffs. Have a great rest of the week, everybody. Talk to you Thursday.
1: Thanks for listening to the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.